Welcome to the Doctrine Matters Podcast, where we seek to equip the church to understand and live out its faith. I'm your host, Stephen Dew. I'm the preaching pastor at South Caraway Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. We want to thank you for joining us today, and let's get right to today's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Doctrine Matters Podcast, where we are going to continue to learn what exactly Christians should believe. Now, there are many things out there that people will try to get you to believe, but we want to look at what the Scripture says and understand the essential core doctrines that every Christian must believe. And so far, we have talked about the Bible. We have talked about what God is like, mainly His attributes and His character, And today we're going to talk about something that is very difficult to understand, and it's okay if you don't grasp it, because many people have tried and tried and tried, and this is just one of those things that is very difficult to understand, and it must be seen in light of God's Word, what God's Word says, not what somebody else says, because you can quickly find yourself into many different kinds of heresies if you're not careful when talking about the subject. But as Christians, I do believe that we must believe the Trinity. Now, what is the Trinity? You may ask. That's a great question. And again, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking through these issues, maybe 20 to 30 minutes tops. This is just kind of a, a, a quick overview of things that we should believe. And from this, you can dive deeper into these subjects. Now, I will tell you that this is one of those subjects you could dive deep into and spend a lot of time wading through the depths of trying to understand the Trinity, but I'm going to help you out here toward the end of this episode when it comes to trying to understand exactly what the Trinity is and all of that good stuff. So first of all, we have to understand that the Trinity involves three different persons. Now, you may have heard it said like this. You may have heard the name God the Father. You may have heard the name God the Son, who is Jesus, or as we're going to see the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith says, the Word or Jesus, and we see that in John 1.1, but God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, all of these three persons are three distinct persons that are one God. You have heard that right. There are not three different gods. There are three different persons in the Godhead that make up one single God. And as a matter of fact, all three of these, and we're going to see this in the passages of Scripture that we're going to go through together, all three of these have existed from eternity past and will exist to eternity future. Uh, From eternity to eternity, the Trinity, the three persons that make up the Godhead have existed in their entirety. So first of all, let's start to put some Scripture on this. It's kind of like putting the meat on the bone. You can talk about these things all day long. Now, let me just tell you this. The first thing that you ought to understand is the word Trinity is not necessarily in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's not in the Bible. You will find nowhere in the scriptures where it says the word Trinity, but you will find the principles of the Trinity and the truth of what the Trinity is all throughout the scriptures. We're going to look just a few verses here on this episode to get you a head start, really thinking through the Trinity and believing that God exists and he is three persons in one being one God. And let me just say this, God, the father is not the son or the Holy spirit. God, the son is not God, the father or the Holy spirit and God, the Holy spirit is not God, the father or God, the son. They are three distinct people. 
that make up this Godhead. So first of all, let's start going to the scriptures. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So first of all, this is before creation even started being created. And this is God the Father saying to someone, let us make man in our own image. So there is this overarching theme in just that first sentence is that this is a plurality of people here. There are number a number of people here. And as a matter of fact, it is three people. It is God the Father. And if you listen to the last episode, you know that God the Father is spirit. John chapter 4, verse 24, he's a spirit. And then you have God the Son, who is Jesus. We'll see here in a few minutes that that is the bodily form of God, who is the Son of God, who does not count even equality a thing to be grasped, as it says in the book of Philippians. But then we're also going to see that the Holy Spirit was here when creation began. So God the Father is speaking to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. So all three were present already before creation ever existed. And he says, let us make man in our image. Now, let me pause here and say this. You're going to hear me say he. You're going to hear me talk about God the Father being he, God the Son being he, and God the Holy Spirit being he. They are he's. They are not hers. They are not they them's. They are he. All three are he's. So we are going to use the masculine masculine pronoun he because that is the way the scriptures read. God is a he, and I will not back down or apologize for that. It's just the way it is. God is a he, and we're going to talk about God the way he talks about himself. So at the beginning of the world, beginning of creation is time as we know it. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existed. Now let's fast forward to the New Testament. In the book of Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we see the baptism of Jesus being the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And here we read this. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So here at the baptism of Jesus, you have the second person of the Trinity, which is Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And as he looks up, he sees the Spirit of God coming in bodily form in the form of a dove resting on uh, his shoulder. And then he hears a voice, an audible voice from heaven, which says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is God the Father speaking at the baptism of Jesus. So here you have all three persons of the Godhead present at the baptism of Jesus. This is, again, verses where we don't see the word Trinity, but we know that the the Trinity and the, the truth of the Trinity exist by reading God's word. And then if you were to fast forward just a little further into the book of Matthew in, in chapter 28, verse 19, we'll see the great commandment. There is something here that must be taken away that we see the Trinity here, even in the great commandment in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here we go again. The Trinity is being 
pushed out through the scriptures, the truth of the scriptures, the truth of God's word. It doesn't say the word Trinity here, but we see three distinct persons when we are to baptize people. We are to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we see all three of those present there when we baptize someone. And this is a command from Jesus himself. Again, the second person of the Trinity. And then if we were to go even further into the, the book of the, or into the New Testament, to the book of Jude, we read this in verses 20 through 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, there's the third member of the Trinity, keep yourselves in the love of God, there's the first member of the Trinity, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That's the second person of the Trinity. So here we see the third person, Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, the first person of the Holy Spirit, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Lord Jesus Christ being the second member of the Trinity. Again, God the Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the, not the Father or the Son. Three distinct persons, but one God. They are one God with different roles and different things that we must understand, and we see this all from the Bible. So as we continue to go through this and think through this, the idea of the Trinity, I, I believe we must uh, begin thinking again through uh, just kind of more of what the Trinity is. So let's look at Genesis 1-1, all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there we are, first person of the Trinity, God the Father creating heavens and the earth. And then we get to God the Son. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says this, For in him, being Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So we see that Jesus is the bodily form of God. He is still God, and he is always going to be God. So we see the second person of the Trinity, and we also see in the scriptures that everything that was created was created through Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. So that is an essential part of understanding the doctrine, that everything that was made and created was created through him, for him. And we must understand that he is the second person of the Trinity. And then we see God the Spirit. I told you that when God created the world, he, the Holy Spirit, was there from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we see here, the Spirit of God was hovering over the space of the waters, over the expanse. He was there in the very beginning. Let us make man in our own image. Remember, after as they were continuing to create, as God the Father continued to create and got to man, he said, let us make man in our own image, meaning the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So here the Holy Spirit was here from the very beginning. We also see something else about the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, when uh, Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a field and kept back some of the proceeds for themselves. And then we get to verse 3 of Acts chapter, uh, is it 5 or 4? I think it's Acts chapter 5. 
I wrote down the wrong number here, but let me just do a double check because I don't want to lead you in the wrong way. If it's Acts chapter four, we want to be we want to be biblical. No, it's Acts chapter five. That's what I thought. So Acts chapter five, verses three and four. So after Ananias and Sapphira have sold this field and kept back some of the proceeds for themselves. We see what Peter says to them, beginning in verse 3. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie, listen, to the Holy Spirit? Or as we are thinking through this today, the third person of the Trinity. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? And listen to what he says. Remember, that says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? But here at the end of verse 4, he says, you have not lied to man, but to God. See, the Holy Spirit is fully God as well. The third person of the Trinity he is God as well. So when you lie to the Holy Spirit, you lie to God. When you lie to Christ, you lie to God. All of the above. So when you lie to God the Father, you lie to God. It doesn't matter. Each, each of these three are God three in one. Now, this does not mean that there are three different gods. Again, I want to tell you this. I want you to hear this, and we're going to see this from the Scriptures. There are not three gods, but one. And there are two really good passages of Scripture that really get into this and help us understand that there is only one God, because the, the Word of God is true. So anything we see or read or hear from the Word of God, we must believe that it is true. So if we were to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, we would read these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, not three, but one. Now, within that Godhead, again, there are three distinct persons, and they all have different roles. And we'll talk about that specifically in salvation here in just a second. But Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 45 says this, I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me there is no god i equip you though you do not know me so god is speaking saying there is only one god there is no other he could have said there are three of us here there's three gods and you must worship each one of us but he doesn't he said there is one god and within that make up the three distinct persons that make up the one single god i see it, it's it's once you start really thinking through it, it's mind-boggling, it's mind-blowing, but we have to understand the truth of God's Word and believe that when we see it through the Scriptures, that there are three distinct persons, and then God says there is one God, we have to believe in the Trinity. There, there's really no way around it. Now, I will say this, again, the Trinity is hard. But listen to Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. Many people try to figure this whole Trinity thing out on this side of eternity when really it may not be figured out on this side of eternity by anybody. We just have to put our faith and trust that we believe that there are three in one. And this is what Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Now, we may not fully understand 
the Trinity, which could be the secret things that belong to the Lord. And only things that are revealed to us belong to us. And then we teach them to our children that we may be obedient to the word of God forever. So don't get discouraged when you start trying to think through the Trinity and then you you, you get bogged down in it and, and really get frustrated in trying to learn and study all there is to know about the Trinity, because some things you're just not going to know on this side of eternity, if ever. It's one of those difficult things. So don't let it get you down there. But I do want to talk about the roles really quickly and spe specifically the role of each member of the Trinity in salvation. Now, there, there are other things that each one does, other roles. For instance, the Holy Spirit is a comforter, a helper, a convicts of sin, does different things. But specifically in the role of salvation, you have God the Father, and I'll do this quickly, God the Father who chooses those whom will be saved. He elects those that will be called into himself, and he chooses those and the Son, Jesus, has come to this earth, lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserved, and for all those that are going to be saved, died the death that they deserved, took on the wrath of God, shed His blood. He died, was buried, He, he arose, He ascended back into heaven, and one day He's going to come back to be the judge of the living and the dead. So the, the Son, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, came to this earth, and He made the perfect and ultimate sacrifice on behalf of of those whom God has chosen to be saved. And then the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, will begin to draw sinners unto himself. So God chooses, Jesus dies for those, and then the Holy Spirit draws those men and women, boys and girls, to himself, where they repent of their sin and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. So there you have three distinct persons in the Trinity doing three different things in salvation so someone can be saved. Had not for God choosing those that would be saved. You could look at a, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 8, 9 uh, there and just kind of look at that if you're wondering what election and choosing and all that means. And, and we'll get into that as we go further down the, the down the road here. But uh, God, if God hadn't chosen then G, those people, then Jesus would shed his blood for nothing. So God chooses, Jesus sheds his blood, takes on the wrath of God, dies in the sinner's place, and then the Holy Spirit draws men and women unto himself where they repent of their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. It's the Holy Spirit that perseveres a person until Jesus comes back or they die. So we, those that are true believers will persevere in the faith which is a beautiful thing because we can't persevere on our own. We have to have the third person of the Trinity, which is God helping us along in that. So uh, that that's just kind of a, a one way that this, the, the three work together, but also separately when it comes to salvation. Now, I also want to read, I just think this is beautiful. If you don't have a copy of the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, and if, especially if you're a Baptist, but if you're a Presbyterian listening, you can get the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it is a just a, a really kind of beautiful thing that goes right along with 1689 in many areas. But this is the Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689, and it does a great job laying out what we believe. It, it, it's not... It, Right now, just to be honest with you, the Baptist faith and message 2000 is really wishy-washy. There's really no firm ground on many different things, that many different topics that are out there, many different doctrines. But this stands firm, 
You can get an abridged edition, which this is what this is from the Founders Ministry. You can just uh, get this free in a PDF form, or you can pay five bucks for it and get you a, a little hard copy. Uh, but this is a beautiful thing that teaches us good sound doctrine in depth with a lot of scripture proofs that we can go to. But listen to what the 1689 says about the Trinity. Uh, in chapter 2, section 3, it says this, This divine and infinite being consists of three real persons. We're talking about the Godhead here. The Father, the Word, or Son. Remember I told you the 1689 refers to Jesus as the Word or the Son and the Holy Spirit. These three have the same substance, power, and eternity each having the whole divine essence without this essence being divided. The Father is not derived from anyone, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. All three are infinite and without beginning and are therefore only one God who is not to be divided in nature and being. Yet these three are distinguished by several distinctive characteristics and personal relations. This truth of the Trinity is the foundation of all our fellowship with God and our comforting dependence on Him. One of the things that I will mention here, too, is, is we see that our God is a God of community, as there are three in one, and therefore we should be people of community. We should be people who love God and love one another because our God is a communal God. We should be a people of community as well. So uh, there's a few things about the Trinity. So what I'm going to do now is we're just going to kind of sum up the Trinity. And uh, let me also say this, when you really try to put some examples of the Trinity in modern day language or some sort of modern day scenario, you really run the risk of heresy. So I would just read the, read the scriptures and believe what the scriptures say and trust God at, in his word and believe in the Trinity and not try to uh, put a put a put a example out there or, or some picture of what the Trinity is or what it isn't, because let me tell you this. One of the greatest heresies is modalism. And this is an, a, a, a really a, a doctrine that says God is one and he manifests himself into three different persons, meaning he can be God, the father one minute, the next minute he can be God, the son, the next minute he can be the Holy Spirit. That's simply not true according to the Bible. All how could he do that at the baptism of Jesus when all three are present? Uh, it just sounds like it'd be kind of hard. It sounds like he'd need to be a genie that uh, blinks himself into those three really quickly and back. But uh, that's heresy. We, you should not believe that. Uh, T.D. Jakes is one that believes it. I believe Stephen Furtick believes that it is well. A lot of people believe it. Uh, but that is simply a false view of the Trinity. So when it comes to trying to explain the Trinity, just go to the scriptures and just trust God at his word. But let's look at some summaries. God is one. We talked about that. Um, there are not three different gods. This is also called tritheism, right? We are monotheistic, believing that there is one God, not polytheistic, meaning multiple gods or, or three gods being tritheistic. We are monotheistic people, meaning we believe and trust the one true God of the Bible. But in that, there are three. So another summary here, God is three. He exists as three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, the scriptures clearly affirm both of these important truths. We've gone through some of those truths here. Um, the three persons of the Trinity are real and distinct persons. I told you we were going to talk about them as he's, as we're going to use that masculine pronoun because they are three different persons. They are perfectly equal. 
that's something that uh, we have to understand as well. There is no one greater than the other. They are all equal. There is no none less than or greater than the other. They are all equal, and that's a beautiful thing. Uh, the mystery. We talked about the mystery. There is a mystery with the Trinity, and uh, when we try to, again, explain it away, we fall short, woefully short, and we shouldn't do that. So a couple of things, a couple of takeaways here that I want to remind you of. I've already reminded you that God is relational. He's communal. And we can take that away from the Trinity. These are implications in our life as well, that we should be a people of community. Uh, the Trinity teaches us that God has no need, right? He was before the world ever began. He needed nothing and still needed nothing and still needs nothing today. So the Trinity teaches us that uh, there is no need in him. The Trinity is perfectly satisfied with one another. So there is no need within the Godhead at all. The Trinity teaches us that God is love. And I'm getting some help from Paul Washer here, by the way. I want to give credit to, to Paul Washer in this teaching just for this implications part of the Trinity. The, the, the Trinity teaches us that God is love. The Trinity teaches us that our salvation is the work of God. I use the salvation as the three different roles of the Godhead in salvation, and all of it is a work of God. None of it is a work of ours. If the Holy Spirit hadn't drawn us to God, then we would never be saved because we would never be, according to the scriptures, drawn to God ourselves. Had God not chosen those who would be saved, we would never choose God either. There is no one good, no, not one. There is none that seek after God. There is no righteous person. Salvation is a work of the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That is a beautiful truth that we can take away as well. So I hope that has been encouraging on some level for you. I hope it wasn't too terribly uh, hard to understand, but I do hope that you were able to take just a, a beginning view of the Trinity and understand, yes, there is three distinct persons within this Godhead that are equal, that have different roles, that is comforting and relational and all of these things, and it is one true God. So I hope that has been of some help to you. Oh, and again, if you don't have a 1689, grab one or a Westminster Confession of Faith. I have both. They're both beautiful pieces of literature and documents that are true. Mm -hmm.